0: So today's daf is Daf Samech Vav, page sixty six in Meseches Yavamis. and um, we're going to go back just to um, just to get our heads back on this to the bottom of Samech Hey Amud Bayis, and a couple of people logged off a little early, so we're going to go back to the story of Yehuda and Chizkia. Okay, this is five lines for the bottom of sixty five B. Uh, and we are wrapping up the sugya of who has a mitzvah of puri of Rivia. Is it on the man? Is it on the woman? So let's go five lines to the bottom. Got the place? Yehuda Here we go. Yehuda vechizkiah tumay. Yehuda vechizkiah were twins. One of the twins completed, being uh, formed and was given birth to after nine months. shiva. The other one was already fully formed at the beginning of seven months. As we know in Gemara, there's two times that, that within the pregnancy that a woman, we call it carrying to full term. Either seven months or nine months. So she, Nebuch, will call it. I mean, Baruch Hashem, she had two children, but she, it, was, it was a very difficult uh, couple of months. Okay. Yehudas, of Revhia, and, Yehudis, and, Yehudis, uh, and Yehudis, the mother was Yehudis, who was the wife of Revhia.? Okay, so again... Rebchia and Yehudas are married, and they had these two sons named Yehuda and Chizkiya. Hava Latzar, it was very, very hard for her. Shanoi Mona, she, she uh, changed her look. She dressed up. Ba'asila Kameid and she came in front of her husband Rebchia, so he wouldn't recognize her, didn't recognize his own wife. Amran, she said, "It is Fakta, Peria is a woman obligated in the mitzvah of Peria viraviyah. Now, what's going on over here? So as we explain uh huh, she was she was already carrying his children. Exactly. So as the Gemara explains, that she already I don't have she already had given birth to twin girls before she had given birth to these twin boys. Okay. So she she did what she had to do for her husband. All right. Her husband had a had the boys. He had the girls. According to all opinions, she helped her husband get his mitzvah. So she says, listen. You know, am I still obligated? Amar La, Amar he says to her, Lai. No. So, Azla, she went to Shtai Samadakarta. She drank a potion that made her sterile. Afterwards, he found out. Amar he said, If only we would have had more children. He was lamenting what he said, his psaq, But by the way, is we didn't focus on this much yesterday because we were running mincha uh, over the it 's a fascinating response that the husband 's telling a wife which that he 's saying for anybody else that 's the psak i 'm a little upset that I gave you this leniency, <laughs> you know, but the Gemara is letting us know this story for a reason, and that is you got to treat your family as fair as you treat everybody else right fine you are brothers. <laughs> were sisters. Okay, so, she would give birth to, she had multiple sets of twins, and that's why Rechia is saying, you know, if only I would have had another, another womb that was full, yeah, referring to another set of twins. Okay, be it as it may, we understand the Allah now, what are we saying? What are we saying? I mean, she had... No Khiv. So she ended up having four children, two daughters, two, uh, two daughters and two sons. After, after she had the second that's right. Once she had the once she had the two boys, then she uh, she drank a potion to make herself sterile. Last piece of Gemara before we finish off the parak says Gemara v'leymifkadi. Is it true that women are not obligated in the mitzvah of of uh, having children? Amar v'achah bar ketina, Amar Says the name of a story with a woman ben You ready? There was a woman a Shivka Okay, so she's obligated to the mitzvahs. But she's not fully Jewish. She had two Jewish owners. One owner freed her and one didn't. So now she's half owned, half not. Now here's the problem. If you're, not, if you're half owned, a Jewish man cannot marry you. If you're half free, a non-Jewish man cannot marry you. So this woman was stuck with nobody to marry. So you know what she did? This is an amazing, this is an amazing, amazing story. She said, you know what, I can't marry anybody anyway. I might as well just have relations with whoever I want. Because I can't do this my whole life. You can't expect me my whole life to just not, uh, you know, not not have any uh, men in my life. And she started acting very loose with any guy. The kafu es rabba va'asa ben You Yeah, it is. The Khachamim came and they forced the... Fellow who owned her 50 to free her so that she could marry a regular Jew to, to end this predicament. Now the assumption why they did this is to allow her to have children. So that's the assumption. The Gemara is saying, oh, you see what happened here is she, you know, uh, obviously we, we told them to free her because she has a mitzvah It's where the Gemara says, no, what we explained. No, it was, she was loose she was hefker, she was ownerless, and that's why the Chacham enforced the owner of fear. but it had nothing to do with having children. Hadron Allah, <laughs> Chabal Yavimtai, Hadron Allah, Chabal Yavimtai, Hadron Allah, Chabal Yivimtai, to everybody who finished the 6th parak of Misachis Yivambas, and now we begin the 7th parak. Okay, now before we begin this parak, let's give a short introduction. Be ready for a daf ahead of us that is going to... Start to teach us a number of new concepts. If we're not so comfortable right away, it's going to come up over and over. Bez Hashem, it's like when we started Yvamitz, right? It's like, oh my gosh, what's happening over here? Oh my, oh my, oh my. And then as you keep going through the Mesechta, it's like, oh, we know exactly what Chalitza is. We know what, you know, we, um, we know what izika is. You become familiar, it becomes like an old friend, all these expressions. So we're going to find a number of new ideas, and I want to share the two main ideas that are that's important to know as we begin. This new mesachta. So the, this new masekta, the new parak, the new chapters. Here we go. Number one, focusing on the laws of truma. Only a kohen is allowed to eat. Uh, I should say, a kohen is allowed to eat truma. A yisrael is not. Now, when the Torah says that a kohen is allowed to eat truma, the Torah even includes anything that's owned by a kohen. A Kohen's is allowed to feed his animals truma. A kohen's wife. Who comes from a Yisrael family is allowed to eat Shuma because he acquired her. A Kohen's Ebed, a Kohen's servant that he acquires is allowed to eat Shuma. Seder, pretty, pretty straightforward. We're going to see a lot of fascinating questions that come out of this though. And I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a little sneak peek into one, yeah? Does that mean that if I rent a cow from a Kohen or I borrow a Kohen's cow... I can take chuma that I'm obligated in and feed this cow to the uh, feed, feed the cow the truma. Am I allowed to do that? I, I figured I'll kill two birds with one stone. I'll be yotze my mitzvah of truma, and the cow's owned by the kohen. Let me feed the kohen's cow truma. I gain from it a stickle too. I'm gaining from it too because instead of uh, buying it uh, a pastrami sandwich from cones, now I'll be, be able to use my truma. Okay, fine. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get to. We'll, we'll see how there's fascinating ramifications. But that's halacha number one, truma. That's going to be a big focus of today's daf. Now, a second halacha. Here we go. Push aside truma for a minute. Marriage. When a woman comes into a marriage, the possessions that she has prior to entering the marriage, what happens to them? So there's two options. We're going to have to get this clear. And I hope I'm able to articulate this well. Here we go. Option number one is that they can write into the agreement, the ksuba, all possessions that she comes into the marriage with, or you could even divide, you could say some are this, some are that, are called nichsei tzon barzel. The possessions that are like iron. Iron. Now, what's that? Huh? Hard assets. Now, what does that mean? So here's nichsei tzon barzel. The, the, the husband makes a commitment to his wife. And he says, anything that you bring into the marriage, I take full responsibility that you will walk out with it at the end of our marriage. Whether it goes up in value or whether it goes down in value, this is like a a savings account without any interest. Yeah, Whatever comes in goes out. Guaranteed. That's nixay tzon barzel. It's like iron. Boom. Okay. Nothing's changing over there. Or they can make an agreement like this and say instead of it being nixay tzon barzel, it's going to be called nixay Malug. Okay. What's nixay Malug? Nixay Malug is that the now now by tzon barzel the husband's guaranteeing the value. By nixay Malug, the agreement is. You're going to get back whatever you bring in. You brought in a field. The husband's able to use the produce while they're married. But she's going to get back the same field. There's no guarantee. It can go up in value and go down in value. Depending on inflation. Depending on who your Congress is. Depending on uh, what things are valued at. She's not guaranteed to walk away with the same value. Okay, so it's a little more... Uh, it's a less of a conservative approach. You understand? So that's, that's what happens to her things. It's either become chon barzo. Guaranteed value. You're sticking with the value. Or Maloub. Now, depending on what the agreement is, will also determine how much do we look at the husband like he's an owner on this. While they're married. So Barzel, we're going to look at it like it's more of the husband's. Even though it belongs to her. But since he's guaranteeing value back. He's guaranteeing it back. We're kind of going to look at him and say, you know, you're, you're, you're a quasi-owner on this, at least while you're married. And we're going to see what the ramifications of that are, okay? So keep in, keep in mind this law of truma, the law of Nechzei Malug, Nechzei zer Bazal, And with that, let's start going, says the Mishnah. A mother of God a widow marries <laughs> a God love, or a divorcee, or a chalut marries a regular Kohen. Both forbidden marriages, but valid. If she brings in servants as Nikseim mm-hmm. Malug and servants as Niksait Sam Barzal. So she's coming in with her own servants. Okay? Nikseim Malug, Nikser Barzal, Abde Malug La Yekhil Bujum. Avdi Sar Bazal Incredible. Incredible. You hit us. So you have a Kohen marrying a widow. She owns servants. Whichever servants are written up to be Nikseim Avday Malug. They cannot eat the chuma of the husband. They're not owned enough by him to be called that they're owned by him and they can eat his chuma. However, Tzom Barzel that he guaranteed, he guaranteed the value of the servants. Oh, uh, even though she's going to ultimately get them back. But while they're married, they're called his possession because he's guaranteeing, which by the way is a beautiful yisait in life. You want ownership of something? Take a achrayas. All right, take responsibility. Don't just, uh, you know, sit there and be like, oh, uh, what, what do you mean? I'm not, no. You want something, take, re- take responsibility on it. As the saying goes, around here, I'm the most responsible person. Every time something goes wrong, I'm responsible. Yeah, that's what happens. Right, right? Everybody's it's here. Huh? <laughs> there you go. Right? Okay. The servants gonna decrease in value. Huh? There will come a point where the servants will decrease in value. It doesn't matter. You're obligating them. That's right. You're obligating her to get her value back. When you say it's Barzal, when it's iron, you're giving back the exact value and therefore those servants can eat truma while they're in your possession because you're guaranteeing their, their value back. You have an ownership on them. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you got to say? you're saying he has two categories of servants. That's right. They could determine however they want the servants to be handled between the two of them. Malugard sign barzel. Whichever ones are Malug, they cannot eat Shuma. Whichever servants are tzom Barzel, they could, because the husband's guaranteeing their value. It's like he owns them. Okay? And this is the halachos when it comes to an Avde Malug. A woman comes into a marriage with Avadim and as Malug. Okay, so he's not guaranteeing their value. Not guaranteeing the value. It may If they die while the husband and wife are married, may Sula. Guess what happens? If they end up getting divorced, does the husband have to give her value of whichever servant died while they were married? No. He never guaranteed anything. Right? So it's her loss. Tim Haesiru. Let's say they went up in value. These guys start working out. Ooh, they're going to the gym. Yeah, all of a sudden they're tough guys. Yeah, and they get divorced two years later, no? So Haesiru, look. So whatever... Gain in value goes to her. <clears throat> even though the husband's obligated to feed them, they're not allowed to teach because they're and he's not guaranteeing anything. Let me explain. These are servants that he is guaranteeing in Mesu. If they die during the marriage, Mesu He takes the loss because he, when they got married, the husband guaranteed, like iron, the wife's getting the money back. If they go up in value, he also gets the value, right? Because what did he guarantee? their initial value. If they were worth $2,000 at the time of marriage and at the time they get divorced they're worth 3000 uh, the husband only has to give her $2,000 in value and she wants the servant, she has to pay him. Okay? You know why? Because he's taken a prize. Beautiful. And he owns them enough. Now since he's guaranteeing them, it's enough that they're allowed to eat Shuma. What happens if you have a regular Jewish girl who marries a coin? Any problems so far? Yeah, is a Jewish girl allowed to marry a coin? Absolutely, no problem. Okay, great. And she comes into the marriage with servants. Whether or not she brings them in as Nirzay Malug or Nirzay Barzal, the alocha is they are allowed to eat Truma. Okay, they're allowed to eat Truma. Now, notice in the first case, who married the Cohen? A forbidden woman, a widow to a Kohen gozo. That's where we had the whole lumpness. But over here, ready for this? When a woman comes in and marries, whether the servants are Nichsim Melug, Nichsim Barzel, we're going to view all of them as an extension of her. And since marriage on her is a total complete acquisition, so since he acquires her and she eats Truma, anything that she owns also is considered under his ownership and they could eat Truma as well. And what about this case? Let's say you have a woman from a Kohen family. So she can really already eat Shuma previously. Okay? And now she marries a regular yisrael. So when she marries out, now she's marrying a Kahuna, so she has to stop eating chumma. They also need to stop eating Shuma because they're also considered the acquisition of a regular yisrael. Okay, beautiful. No, so it makes sense, right? The second half of the mission it makes sense. The same way, if a Kohen marries a Yisraelis, they can all eat Shuma. If a Kohenes marries a Yisrael, they, none of them are allowed to eat shumma. Okay. Says the Gemara. Is it really true that Malug, when it's a forbidden marriage, are not allowed to eat shumma? Am I? Why not? Why don't we say that the Kohen. Is acquiring them the same way he's acquiring her? The Tanai learned in the Brise. I mean, the Kohen Shalsi Isha. Had he know Kohen marries a woman the Konavodim, or he or he acquires a slave, a servant Sheichel the that the servant or the woman's allowed to eat Chuma. Shenamar, but Cohen can in The Torah says not only is a Kohen allowed to eat Chuma, but anything that a Kohen acquires is also allowed to eat Chuma. So you see very clearly if he acquires it, that whatever that is is allowed to be fed Chuma. How do you know that if the Kohen's wife has Avadim? Or how about this? Let's say you have a Kohen who has servants and he gives his servants rights to purchase their own servants. Okay? Gives the servants rights to purchase their own servants. Could the servants of the Kohen's servants eat Shuma? Interesting Shailah. Says the Gemara, They could. They could eat Shuma. You know how I know that? The Pasik says, the hoin ki a that acquires a person that he purchased with money, he's allowed to eat from it, which means anytime you purchase property that you are obligated to um that you are obligated to feed it, even if they purchase other property, the halacha is everybody is allowed to eat from. Okay, incredible. So says the Gemara like this, a beautiful thing. Says the Gemara, right now we have a question. Because what we're saying is, listen, if a Kohen servant that purchases a servant, the Kohen has to feed it, why when a Kohen marries a woman who has nichse melug avadim, does he not need to feed them? Why is a wife any different than a servant? The wife's, well, if a wife has nichse Malug melug servants coming into the marriage, you said, oh, it's not owned enough by the Kohen. It says he can't eat them shuma. It says Gora. What? Why don't we say the woman is acquired to the Kohen? These servants are acquired to her, and it should be the same thing. It should be the same thing as a Kohain to a servant to a servant. So Gemara says no. You're making a mistake. If you yourself are allowed to eat shuma, then your servants could eat shuma. But um, if you're not allowed to eat Shuma, your servants cannot eat chuma. Answers the gemara like this. Let's pause and understand something. Says the gemara. Let me tell you something. If you have a kohen that marries a divorcee, and she comes in as with nichsei Malug, says the gemara. Let me tell you something. She herself cannot eat his chuma. Even though it's a valid marriage, since it's forbidden to be together, she's not allowed to eat Shuma. And since she's not allowed to eat Shuma, any servants that are considered in her domain cannot eat Shuma either. If it's Nechzeh Malug, it's still considered in her domain, and therefore they can't eat Shuma either. If they're considered in his domain, like Tom Barzo, where he's taking complete responsibility, okay, so they're allowed to eat because of him, not because of her. But by the marriage, you know why they can't eat? Because, of, because she can't eat. However, let's look at the case of the servant. If a Kohen servant purchases a servant, could the Kohen servant eat chumah Yeah, that's what the Torah says. Therefore, their servants can also eat chumah That's the difference between a servant-servant being allowed to eat chumah while a forbidden wife's servant cannot eat chumah Okay. Says the Gemara, Is that really true? What about a case of an Aram? Who's allowed to eat chumah A regular Kohen. If a Kohen does not have a bris milah, his name's Earl. Arl. He's got a foreskin. He's not allowed to eat chuma Says the Gemara, even though he's not allowed to eat Juma his servants could eat Shuma. So you see, you have a person, they themselves can't eat, but the people they're responsible for could still eat. So we should say the same thing by the forbidden woman. The divorcee can't eat, but maybe her servants should be able to be fed Shuma. Says the Gemara, incredible answer, no, Yeah, it means they have a, they have a mouthache we'll call it a stomachache. Meaning, what does that mean? Says Gavara like this, an incredible, this is an incredible lumdus. Listen to this logic. In RL, a guy without a bris mila, a coin without a bris mila, is allowed to feed his servants truma. Why? It's not that he really intrinsically cannot eat truma. You know what the problem is? If you have a toothache, are you going to eat truma? No. If you ate too much matzah, at the Pesach Seder. Are you going to eat chuma right afterwards? No. Why not? Because you're full. <laughs> that's why. We view an RL, not that there's a problem with chuma, but just that there's an impediment in the way. He has a toothache, so that's why he's not eating. As opposed to the forbidden woman, we're going to say there's actually an issue with the acquisition. And that's the difference why, it's a beautiful idea, that's the difference why an RL who can't eat chuma could feed his servant chuma. Because he himself is in the parsha, He's playing the same game. He just has a foreskin that needs to be removed. Like he has a toothache that needs to go away before he eats. However, the woman who's forbidden to the Kohen, her servants, she can't feed them truma Because they're not connected at all. Beautiful. Says Gemara, one second. If you have a mamzer that comes from a Kohen, Kohen's had a grandson who's a mamzer. Yeah? Fine. Whatever, you have a Kohen that uh, lived with a married woman. They have a kid. His kids and moms are mamzer. He can't eat truma, but others could eat truma because of him. How is that possible? What does that mean? So let's explain. This came up uh, before in the Masech. It comes up multiple place, places. It's a fascinating, um, a fascinating situation. The halacha is like this: If you have a woman, a Yisraelis who's married to a Kohen if her husband dies. Without children, she's not allowed to eat chum anymore. Okay? She was only allowed to chew because of her husband. She If they die without children. What happens if they have children? Okay? And what happens? The children die whatever? But she's got a grandson, let's say, who's a mamzer. Her son had a son who's a mamzer. And then everybody else passed away. And now basically what you're left with is a woman who was married to a Kohen and she has a descendant who's really come from, comes from the family of Kohanim but the kid's are Mamzer. Because his father who's a Kohen had relations with a married woman. The Allah is the babi or the mother can still eat Truma now. Because the bottom line is she has a descendant from the family of R. And therefore she still had a chuma. So ask the Gemara I'll show you a case where there's an intrinsic problem with the person eating Truma, like the Mamzer but they're still causing other people to be allowed to eat chuba. Look, is out the baba is allowed to eat great point. And therefore, back to our question. Granted, this woman is forbidden to be with the kain, but at least let her servants eat the same way Amamzer allows his uh, you know his ancestors to eat. Says the Gemara, Amar Ravina, Kenyan Eichel Kamar. Our Gomorrah is talking about a Kinyan Eichel, a coin who acquires something as far as eating chuma, In other words, a but there's a difference between who you are and what you're purchasing. Kinyan Eichel, Michael. And here's the rule If a kohen acquires something, that thing allows other things to eat chumah. But any koin who's not allowed to eat chuma himself cannot allow something else that's acquired to, uh, to eat truma. Okay, so what's the Gomorrah's response? There's a difference between this woman and the case of the of the Mamzer. Why? Because by the case of the Mamzer, there's no acquisition anywhere. This is just plain blood lineage. There's a halacha. If a, as long as there's a descendant, the woman's a still at eachum. Okay? Even though she was the Israelis. However, over here, when it comes to the, the when it comes to being acquired, so laws of acquisition are going to be different. Fine. That's one that's one possible answer. For Rav Amar, and Rav says, Me daraisa me halachli, that really me You should know, biblically, her servants. Of nifseim Malug, are allowed to eat truma. Yeah, it is. This that we say only nifseit Barzal can't eat truma, and nifseit Barzal could eat truma, and nifseim Malug cannot. That's only that's only rabbinically. It's not biblically. Rabbanu Hudegazi, ani eni achelas. Listen, the Rabbana made a Zerah, uh that that the, the, these servants cannot eat. Why? Because you, you might have a woman who's going to say, listen, I can't eat truma. Avdei anan oichlin. And so my servants also should not be led into Shulma. Zaynahi etzlei. So I must be like a zaynah to him. I must be like a zaynah to him, right? Because all we have is that uh, a forbidden child over here. Okay, she's going to say, "Oh, the whole reason why I'm forbidden—not a forbidden child. I'm sorry. We're dealing with a woman who's a divorcee to the Kohen Gogo, right? So she's going to say." Now listen, if I were to be with the Kohen, so this child is going to be a, hal- a Halal, and he's going to lose the status of being a Kohen, if she's going to look at her servants and say, even my servants are not allowed to eat truma," she's going to say, you know, I'm not even married to this guy. If my servants can't eat truma, I must not halachically even be really married to the Kohen. Ah, uh, he put a ring on your finger? Yeah, as a prostitute. The same way people give money to prostitutes, so maybe that's why he gave it. Now, halacha doesn't if we're gonna if we're gonna say that you understand what the woman's gonna be thinking? I can't eat, they can't eat. Okay, so what am I, a regular zayna? Yeah, I can go live with whoever I want, I'm not even a married woman. And this is gonna lead to a problem, and this is gonna lead to a uh, uh, separation. Fine. Ravashi says, that we don't allow her servants to eat chuma because maybe she'll continue feeding them chuma after her husband dies. If they were Nechzei Malug, and they've been eating chuma all along, and then her husband is going to die, she's going to keep feeding them Shuma. But now, even a regular... Bas Yisrael, who marries a Kohen is not allowed to eat shuma once her husband dies. We should never allow. So, this is be a beautiful question. If you're concerned that during the marriage somebody may eat, and that's going to cause after the marriage someone may eat, every time you have a Yisraelis woman married to a Kohen, what if they didn't have kids? And he dies. She's not a Jew anymore. So, why don't we say to every Jewish woman who marries a Kohen, uh, listen, listen, my, my beloved Rebbitson. Until you have children, you're not allowed to eat Shuma. Because we're concerned that if your husband were to die now, you might keep eating chuma, Because you're used to it. So, therefore, you always need to wait till you have a kid. This way, we know you could permanently eat shummah. And if you could permanently eat Shuma, then there's no problem anymore. Why don't we always do that? Says the Gemara, Allah Marabashi. Rabashi says, Ba'amana koyhanes. Yeah. You know what the decree is talking about? A woman who came from a family of kahana. So, she comes from a family of kahana. She's marrying a Kayim. So she's always going to be allowed to eat truma. There's no problem. To Asya Okay. And she's going to go ahead and say that I am allowed to give my Avodim, my servants, truma. Listen to what happened. She had servants from a family. She's from a family of Kahanim. She has servants. She married a guy. Those servants remained. She married a Kayim. Those servants remained nichse Malug. Okay? Then her husband dies. Can fascinating question. Can these Avodan keep eating chuma? Can they keep eating shuma? Listen to this. Me'i Kara, in the beginning originally, Chuma de She says like this my servants before I got married always ate chuma because they lived with me in my father's house. So they were eating chuma even before I got married. And then I married a claim. In and they were allowed to eat shuma because of my husband. Now I'm going back to my father's house. So they should also be allowed to keep eating Shuma. Why not? Here's the problem. Ready? Remember she was a divorcee to a Kohen or a widow to a Kohen. That was the case of our Mishnah. Now here's the deal. Before she got married where there was no sin involved, of course her servants are allowed to eat. But then... She married a Kohen in an illegal way against Halacha and she became a Chalala. She now ruined her status. So when she goes back to her father's house they can no longer read Hashta shavisa l'nafshah So she made herself a Chalala. She cannot eat Jumah. Hence her servants cannot eat Jumah and that's our whole concern over here. Says Gemara, okay, fine, very nice. But not, let me tell you something. That's when you have an almana who started out in the family of Gahane and went down. We're concerned she might go back and not realize. But come on. I mean, in the Shidduch world, how many times do you have a girl from a Qayyan family who actually marries a Qayyan? Sometimes. Not all the time. Probably minority. So in the case where you have an almana who's from a regular Yisrael family and we're not concerned, why are we saying that she also cannot feed her servants anymore? Right? That she cannot feed her servants Nafseim Malug while she's married. Amana Michael Maybe but when when the Amana comes from a regular Yisrael family, why can't her Avadim eat while they're married? Why can't her Av Avdei Maluk eat while they're married? There's no concern she might go back to her father's house and feed them chumma, because her father's house doesn't have chumma. And just the Gumara And once the Ravana made a decree about a kohenes who made a with this issue, so we say every widow is included. They don't separate uh, one widow from another. Period. Fine. End of that back and forth. End of that conversation. Brand new, co- brand new conversation here. And now the Gemara is going to get into the Kishkas, get into the intestines of what exactly um, is the acquisition of a husband. When his wife comes into the marriage with things that are malug and things that are barzel. So barzel. Okay? And as we explained again, barzel is the husband's guaranteeing the value back. Malug, he's not guaranteeing the value back, he's guaranteeing the, guaranteeing the item back. If it goes down in value, it's on her. If it goes up in value, she also gets it. Alright, here we go. Ibar, we learn. Hamachnas shumla LeBala. A woman who brings evaluated property into her husband. So... She brings property in. We, we evaluate it. It's worth a million dollars at the time they get married. Here Meres Maris, Kali Anil, I tell us. And she comes back and says, I want my stuff back. He says, I'll give you the value. We valued out your, your land, whatever it was, at a million dollars. I'll give you a million dollars. I want to keep the land. Hadin and me. Can he do that? Fascinating question. You hear this? Because... He took responsibility. Now, if we say he really has ownership when you're taking responsibility, you're taking a chrys on Tzom Barzel, yeah, you're guaranteed. So, why don't we say, let him actually take the item and give back the value. Now, if he's giving back the value, what does she care? Answer is, whatever. It was her zaidi's land, it was her zaidi's watch, uh, Bubby's jewelry, chrys, whatever it was. She wants it, not the value. Fine. So, who's, who's got the upper hand here? Rebut on says, type of number hadini ma. She gets back whatever she brought in. She wants the item, she gets back the item more than the value. Ravami Umar no Hadin Imai. It goes to him. Now Ravami must hold. We'll go through the logic. Here we go. Omar says she has the upper hand, Mishum He says, listen, be whatever's the, the gain of her father's house, she came in with it. This was in her family heirloom. Now you're getting divorced. You cannot remove it from that, uh, that family. You cannot remove the property. She could take it back. What would have happened? Let's say this thing broke. Let's say there would have been a problem. A fire, a flood on the land. Uh, the jewelry gets lost. Who's obligated? Him! Because he said, I'm guaranteeing the value back at the end of the marriage. And if everything would have gone wrong, if everything would have flooded, he would have had to take the loss... This is his. Since he was taking full-fledged responsibility, he's the, one, um, uh, uh, he's the one who allows them to eat. Okay? Meaning, going back to this, the situation of the, of the servants, of the Maisa, what are we? what's he pointing out from that halacha? It's his. It's his. Chom Barzel, by definition, says Rav Ami, is, you bring this in, I'm guaranteeing you the... Value. And the item actually becomes mine. The va- I- I'm responsible on the item, so it's mine. Value goes to you. Okay. Um, Amar of Safra, Rav Safra says, one second, does the Mishnah ever say that the servants are his? Did the Mishnah by Tzom Barzal say, oh, since the servants are his? No. You know what the Mishnah said? Beautiful deal. The Mishnah says, you know why he has to feed the servants by Tzom Barzal? You know why? Because he took full responsibility. Does full responsibility mean it's yours? No. Beautiful. So the kasha is on Urvami. Don't tell me that when he takes responsibility it becomes his. The Mishnah... Because the Mishnah says, Oh, you, uh, you got to feed the slaves. Come on. If it was really his, the Mishnah said, You know why he has to feed the slaves? Because they're his. But that's not what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah says got to feed the slaves because you're responsible. That's it. So maybe... He should have to give her back the actual item that she brought into the marriage," says the Gemara. "The Kolhecha dechay Brachayuson Achli Betshuma." Is it really true? Ula Elam Lavdi Deinenu, and really, it's not his. Says the Gemara. "The Kolhecha dechay Brachayuson Achli Betshuma." Is it true that whenever a kain is responsible to? Um, to uh take care of an evid, Ebed. that evid's a laddy truma to learnt in a Mishnah. Yesol Shakaparami Kayan. Here we go. That's gonna get into the case that we discussed. If Yesol rents a cow from a Kayan, yeah, he goes to Hertz rent a cow. Hareze Yahilana Kashini Truma. Okay? He goes to Hertz rent the cow. He's allowed to feed the cow truma. Why? Because who does the cow, who's the cow owned by? A koei. And any property the koei is allowed to eat shuma. Give it out. out. Not only did I get a good code for my rent a cow, Yeah, I got a good online code. I got a discount. But usually I have to feed it and fill up in gas. I could use chuma gas over here right I can fill up with inflation and the price of gas going up is a good idea yep but what about a Cohen that rents a cow from Yisrael even though the Kohen is responsible to feed the animal uh, food he cannot feed a truma because the animal is owned by a Yisrael and a Kohen is not allowed to feed a Yisrael Shruma Therefore, what do you see from here? Financial achrayas is not what decides truma allowance. Because you see yeah, financial financial is not deciding anything. Mamush gavalt. Okay. So what is it? What is it? it says a word like this. The Tisborough. Is it really logical to tell me that there's a connection between our Mishnah and the case of the Mishnah by, the, by uh, Hertz Rentakal he granted nami By the way, I didn't get that line by my own. Hertz rent the cow is not for me. It's from twelfth grade, Rebbe Neri Yisro, Uh Rabbi Glazer. Okay, when he would talk about uh, cows, he talk about Hertz rent the cow. All right. He granted nami It's granted that renters are obligated in gneiv But when it comes to an idness, something that's that's a complete accident. Let's say you rent something and the animal. Uh, conks out, yeah. Just kicks the bucket, or it goes down in value. Mima are you going to be responsible? No. Says so Gemara like this: When you rent something, <clears throat> is that the same responsibility that a husband's taking when he takes on a servant? No. You know why? Because granted, for some things you're responsible, but other things you're not. If I rent a car and the car goes kaput during the rental, do I have to pay back the rental company? No. They need to give me another car. Because I paid them for that. So you see that, he says the Gemara, I don't understand. What's your question from the purpose of a rental? The, the rental's completely different than, than, than what we're dealing with over here. Because by a rental, you're not taking full achrayas. says the Gemara, you're right. You know what it is? Rather, our case of our mission is actually similar to the seifa of the case of the renter. For example, Yisrael Shasham Parah If you have a regular Yisrael, who they evaluate the value of the animal at the time that it's rented. You hear this? It's like this. You have a Cohen who owns, hurts rent the cow. Yisrael comes <clears throat> and he says, I want to rent the cow. Cohen says, all right, here's the deal. Here's the deal, buddy. We're going to evaluate how much the cow sells for on the market right now. You go rent it. When you return it, you're guaranteeing me it'll have the same market value. Oh. So it's worth $500 on the market. When you bring it back, it's happy with 500. If it's worth 400, you're going to have to reimburse me 100 bucks. Okay? Fine. The, the, the Yisrael who's renting the animal from the coin cannot feed it. truma. It's not considered the coins anymore because now I as the Yisrael are taking full financial obligation on it and it's not considered the coins while I'm renting it. Because again, I'm not guaranteeing the item back. I'm guaranteeing the value back and now I'm much more of an owner but let's say a who did this from you could do that. So you see from the safe of the Mishnah, beautiful. Who owns the animal? The one who takes financial achrayas. And if it's the one who takes financial achrayas, now we talk have a connection to our Mishnah, where the woman's coming into the marriage with her avodim. Because we now have a situation of a rental... Where it's not like, oh, there was no full responsibility taken. No, there was absolute full responsibility taken. Yosef, Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda, Nachman. Rabbi you guys were sitting at the end of the shir of Rabbah Nachman, the Yosef, they were sitting and they were talking, Tani Kavazit, Rav Yehuda, One b'risa seems to be like, Rav Yehuda, that, that um, the wife can say... Um, I, uh, the, that the wife can say Give me back my property Not the value And some say There's a price to the whole, Like Ravami That the husband Has the upper hand Okay say The Ravami Abdei Tzambarazah uh, Yaitzim B'sheish V'ayin le'ish B'shein v'ayin The Of Tzambarazah Goes out If his iron tooth Is knocked out We don't know the terror If you have a servant Who's iron tooth, Right If the husband Knocks out the iron tooth So if he's considered The owner The Evet goes free But if the wife does it Then they don't go free so you see from here that the husband is the full owner. So at the end of the marriage, if the wife says, give me back my stuff, the husband says, no, he can just give back the value because he really owns this because of the halacha of Shein va'ayin are going out because of him. Are we familiar with that halacha, right? If you have, a, if you have an evan, how, how does a non-Jewish servant go free from a Jewish owner? If the Jewish owner knocks out an eye or a tooth, he gives him a damage on a limb, then the servant goes free automatically. But it's only if the owner knocks it out. If somebody else does it, then the servant doesn 't go free. So if the owner blinds the eye of the servant, it goes free here we 're saying if the husband blinds the servant, the servant goes free. That must be we 're giving the we 're considering the husband. To be the complete owner. But then the says, seems to buy the A woman who brings property that was evaluated for its value to her husband and if he wants to sell it, no, he cannot sell it. It's not yours to sell. Your wife brought it into the marriage. A month into the marriage, the like, I want to sell the property. The wife says, nope, no can do. Okay? The not only is he not allowed to sell it, even if the husband brings Um, his own property that was evaluated, and he says, oh, I'll put my property in its place. And He still can't do it. So you see very clearly that the wife is the one that has complete ownership. What happens, what happens if either the husband or wife sell it for Parnassa? Okay? They need money. They need money. This story happened and it came to Shemim Gamliel. The husband can move it, remove from the house of the purchaser. The wife sold it because she wanted more money in the household. She wanted to buy something, whatever it was. The husband is allowed to nullify the sale. Okay. Bottom line is, that's the end of the b'risa. You see from this b'risa that the, the one who's got the upper hand over here who retains ownership over the physical item is the woman. So we have... One bride seems to imply that it goes to the husband, one bride seems to imply it goes to her. Which is, whenever a woman brings Nichse into a marriage, at the end of the marriage, the husband must give the item back to her. That's the halacha. What? What about the bride that says you don't need to give it back? Halacha is like one who says, who says, where'd you come from? Says the Gomara Afa Gatakovas the Ravami. even though there's a brisa like Ravami, Mistabra Tami Rivuda. Ravhuda's logic is more makes more sense. We show him because it makes sense that we should allow the property to go back to her father's household. Period. End of that Gemara. So you have a Brysa each way showing us both sides of the coin. Okay, one like Rivihuda, that it should go to the husband. I'm sorry. One like Rav just should go to the wife. One like Rav Ravami should go to the husband. We're following Rav. We're following that it goes back to the wife because of Savara. Period. End of that back and forth. Yeah. Hey Itza, there was a woman. It's the la b'k'suvasa shachiv. The let me read this again. Hey Itza, there was a woman. The she brought her man. She brought her husband. It's the Demilsa, an uh, uh, expensive garment, Biksuvasa, as her Ksuba. Not, not that he's obligated to her, but she, something she's bringing into the marriage. Okay. Something she on. She came into the marriage with a fancy mink coat. Fine. Shachiv, <laughs> her husband died. Shaklua Yasme uparsua misna The orphans came and took the mink coat and covered up the body with it. Now here's the deal. Amarova kanya misna. The mink coat is going to stay on top of the husband. He should be buried with this. The orphans wanted the coat to be his tachrichim, to be his shrouds. Now she brought it into the marriage, but there's a halacha that anything that's set aside for a dead person that you're not let a, for a person's burial, you're not let to benefit from. It's asur bahana. It's forbidden to benefit from. So there was that's the issue that came up. It belonged to her. But the orphans covered their father in it and, they and th- therefore now like, they're kind of responsible to bury him in it. And Rav said that actually she should not take it back and they should use this covering to bury him with. Says the Gemara, I don't understand. I thought we follow then it's hers. You can't just take my stuff, cover up somebody else's body and say, oh, you can't have it back. Why are they covering up the Bible? Where'd this halacha come from? A great question. Amar lei, he said back to him, wouldn't Rabbi Yehuda agree that Lamaisa, practically speaking, we're dealing with Nixay Tzayim Barzal that has not yet been collected? Meaning, granted it's supposed to go back to the wife, but the bottom line is, until it's actually collected, it is in the domain of the husband, and since it's lacking collection, at the time that he died, it's his, and it's just one of those unfortunate situations, where, it's got to remain in his domain, you should know, says the Gemara, Rava who says that anytime you have something meant for a dead body, you're not allowed to use it for anything else, is consistent with his own reasoning. Dama Rava Rav says, Hektish Chametz. Okay? Let's say you have Hektish, something that belongs to the Beis HaMikdash, that became usher as Chametz. Okay? You said this belongs to Hectish. Guess what? It becomes Chametz over Pesach. Yeah? You have Chametz, and it's now, uh, it's now Pesach. The problem is, anything that's privately owned on Pesach, you're not allowed to uh, benefit from anymore. Top of tomorrow's daf, the shichrur, and also when it comes uh, when it comes to the, hal- the halacha of a shichrur, when we're freeing a servant, mafki and mideshibud, both of these things, even though they have an obligation initially to the one who it's owed to, these situations remove the obligation. Both shichrur, when an eved is freed, and also when you turn something into hektish. Beshem, tomorrow we will pick up with clarification, we'll go back, we'll restart from these stories, we'll clarify uh, uh, this Gemara, which explains Rabbalah we'll go through the case of Hectish, we'll go through the case of Shichrar, and Beshem, we'll pick up from here tomorrow, Erev Shabbos, 12.15pm, have a wonderful, wonderful Erev Shabbos.